One of the things I love about uh, Houston, and I don't think the rest of the world understands or appreciates this, but Houston is this massive melting pot of people. We come from everywhere. We've got people from around the globe that, that live here. And I think outsiders, think, they think of Houston, they think, oh, it's cowboys. They just have boots and, and hats. And, and if you go to the rodeo this week, I'm sure you'll see some of that because this is the one time of year that everybody pulls that stuff out. But if you sit at the rodeo and you just watch people go by, you'll see that, wow, what a diverse group of people. And we like all kinds of, of different things. I love this. This, 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 this characteristic of, of our city, and I'm really embracing it. Um, one of the shows that uh, kids, my kids watch these days is this show, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Have you ever heard of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood? Yeah, oh, we got some watchers back there. It's based on uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and if you have kids, you realize that these shows are happening in the background, and things within the shows are like, you, at the time, you're like, oh, cart, another cartoon. But these songs, like, just keep playing, and they get into your brain, and you can't get them out. And uh, Dora is a great example of this. I know every word of it. It's a lot of you guys, fathers in this room, know every word of, of Dora as well. But Daniel Tiger is unique in that there's a, a little lesson in every week, and there is a song every week in these songs. They get into your head. And to help you this morning to brighten up your day, I'm going to put a song in your mind this morning. This is from Daniel Tiger episode, Same and Different. Yes. All right, you've got that in your head now, right? In some ways we are, but in so many ways. That's really high, by the way. Really high. Some ways we're different, but in some ways we are the same. There's two familiar stories I want us to look at this morning. Uh, John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. So if you'll head that way, there are two stories that if you've been around church a little bit, you've, you might have heard them before. Uh, one is Jesus' encounter with this guy named Nicodemus. And then the next chapter is this encounter with this woman at the well. Her name is known as the Samaritan woman. Now, a lot of times we separate these, these stories and there are two different kind of things going on, two different narratives. But today, you know what, I think there's a lot more in common with these stories uh, than meets the eye. And so we're going we're gonna to bring these two very, very, very different people together. We have one Nicodemus on the outside, very well-dressed, very uh, respected, probably wealthy, known in the community. He was a Pharisee. He was someone that people just looked at and could just knew exactly who he was. He was one of the important people. And on the other side, we have this woman who was the outcast, a woman that really was kind of, seemed like she was almost labeled and all put off to the side. And, and if we would ask people, she probably even had a, a real little bit of a reputation. And they seemed very different at first. But I, I think if we look today, they're actually a little more similar than, than meets the eye. So let's this morning, let's start with the Samaritan woman. We're going to go in kind of reverse order. John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. Jesus is traveling. And uh, John chapter 4, this is verse 3 through 9. So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired from the long walk. And that seems kind of odd. Jesus tired. Why was he tired? 
He's tired because he was fully human when he was here on earth. And like we get tired, he got tired. So he, he sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Jesus said to Jesus, she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, at first, this seems kind of like a, a routine scene. Jesus comes to the town. The disciples go to get food. There is this well there that the town is known for. He sits by the well. A woman comes up. He asks her for a, a drink of water. This seems, I mean, this seems pretty common. But when you look at the story and you get a little deeper into it, you realize that this whole scene is just not gelling. Uh, Jewish people do not hang out with Samaritans. In fact, there was a great tension between Jewish people and, and Samaritans. Back when the Babylonians came in and, and during the exile, they, they took people away. And people from the north side of the region, they were, some were left behind. And they actually began to intermarry with the, the Canaanites. And they begin to inter, intermarry and become families, and, and religions began to intertwine. And so the Jews viewed the Samaritans as being unpure and racially and, and heretics from a religious, spiritual point of view. And so the Jews so, so disliked the Samaritans, they actually would travel around the region to avoid the area, not even to step in the same town uh, as the Samaritans lived. That, that's the kind of animosity we're talking about. And so how odd is it that Jesus, almost like a divine appointment, comes into this town of Sychar and begins to talk to who? A woman. A woman. Now this, back in the day, Jews, Jewish men were not seen talking in public to strange women. This just didn't happen. And so when, when this woman comes to get water, I, I'm, I'm guessing she's shocked that Jesus is, is talking to her. He's even saying something to her. And then what time of day was it? It was noon, in the middle of the day, that she comes to the well. Now, why would she come at noon? Most of the women in the town, they would come earlier in the day. They would come to the well, and they would draw water, and they would take it home, and they would use it for cooking and other things that they would, they would use at the house. Why would this woman come when everyone else wasn't usually there? It was almost like she didn't want to be around other people. It was like she maybe wasn't accepted by other people. And who is it that Jesus is talking to? This woman who apparently, the Samaritans are the outcast. She's the outcast from the outcast, okay? She's like at the bottom of, of, of all of this. And this is one of the things that I love about Jesus. He bursts through any of these walls that we put up, any of these labels that we put up. He just, he blows through all of them. I love my, my dad. You know things about your, your parents that when in the middle of the, the moment you kind of are embarrassed by, and like, but later on you begin to kind of embrace and appreciate. My dad is kind of a, a, an awkward dude, uh, but there's something about him. I, I, don't, I don't know. He just has this ability to talk to random people 
and to just on the elevator, he'll just start talking to people. And uh, a couple of stories uh, from my childhood. He's a school teacher. He taught all of his life in inner city schools in, a, in Augusta, Georgia, and in Selma, Alabama. And uh, one day, they, uh, he's first grade, I believe, at the time. They're having picture day. Remember, you have picture day. Everybody dresses up. He was supposed to wear a tie that day. Totally forgot about wearing a tie. And uh, coincidentally, today, tie day. And what does my dad do? On his break, before picture time, he goes around to the neighborhood around the, sco- the school and he knocks on doors. That's my dad. He knocks on doors, and he asks if he could borrow a tie. Okay, third, about third or fourth house in, this woman's like, sure. Uh, my ex-husband has his ties here. And he, he, he borrows a tie and goes to picture day, takes it back. That's, that's my dad. My dad goes to McDonald's. No matter where he lives, he's moved a couple times in the last several years. He, he finds a McDonald's. And in the morning, he begins to have coffee about the same time. And he, he, he has a group of friends that he has that he just spends time with and he hangs out with. And these people are the most different people that you've ever seen before. Uh, I went to this last time and, uh, to McDonald's, and there's just, just such a variety of people. And, and my dad like, speaks to these people like they're family. And I kind of think that this is this is who Jesus is. I mean, he just sees past all of the labels and things that, that people put up, and he begins just to, to connect to people and, and form these relationships. There's something odd about this, but there's something very intriguing. Did you, did you see this picture this week of a woodpecker uh, with, I think it was a woodpecker with the weasel? Did you see that? Yeah, a weasel decides to, to jump on the back of this woodpecker and uh, just take a ride, which looks like a lot of fun. Uh, but then you kind of read the story and you realize there's kind of a bad uh, ending to this. The weasel's main point of jumping on the woodpecker is to try to, you know, kill the woodpecker. Uh, probably that's the reason of the, the eyes there. But there's just something about kind of cool when, uh, when, when two animals that are seem very you know, different, come together. And uh, a couple of other pictures I just happened to pull up for uh, the, the snake and this, yeah, this is the awe portion of the program this morning. Uh, this is this a snake and this rat is, they're just, they're just buddies. They just hang out together. The, uh, they, they said that they just dropped the, the, the rat into the, the cage, and uh, you'd think the snake would just immediately or eventually, uh, but instead this this snake just kind of wrapped around this rat and provided warmth for it. I know. <laughs> yeah, right? How long did that last? How long did that last? All right, there's this cat and this crow that they hang out. Yeah, the internet, you can find about anything. They just, they, they just hang out their buddies. Uh, and, and then this last one is, is kind of goofy. Uh, it's this tiger and piglets. Yeah, and they're friends. And, and the tiger is, is raising uh, the piglets. There's just something cool about this. And, and what Jesus does, it just seems, it's just so intriguing to me. He just, you know, we put up all these labels. And, and we put labels on other people. And we even put things on our, ourselves. And Jesus comes in. It's like he, the first thing he does is he just rips them off. And he begins to just have these conversations and begins to connect with people. And, and, and what's her reaction? She's shocked. She's amazed. And what happens when the disciples come back from town? They've got the food in hand. They're like, I mean, this is pretty early on in the ministry. It's like, what is he doing? Why is he talking to her? 
And, and as I thought about this scene, and, and maybe some people that we've maybe labeled, question I've asked myself, and I want you to ask yourself too, is there anybody in your world and in our world that if you saw them, you would avoid? Like, you may even cross to the other side of the street if you saw them. Someone that just, just immediately there's this tension inside, and you're like, eh, I just kind of want to stay away from that person. I don't, that's not somebody I want to share a meal with. If, is there someone that if you were suddenly having a conversation with or, or just spending time with, someone would, would go, what are they doing? That just doesn't make sense. I, that just... John 4, 13, as we keep reading this story, John, Jesus replied, and he's talking to the woman. And he says this. They're talking about this, this as they've come to the well. He says, anyone who drinks this water, talking about the water there, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. Uh, does anybody remember the Betty White Snickers commercial from a couple of years ago? You don't have to play the audio, but just we'll just play the, the video of, of this commercial. Uh, that's kind of kind of become popular. This is the first of many. Uh, poor Betty White. Uh, and uh, you, you remember what happens? She needs a Snickers, and uh, and what happens when she gets the Snickers? She suddenly changes. You're not yourself when you're hungry. Is the tagline? Is it name that actor? Totally all. A Pagoda, nice, very good. Uh, and there's a, several other commercials that are in this line that you're cranky or you're, when you're hungry, you're, you're not yourself. What happens when you are hungry, okay? When you are like suddenly hungry, what comes out of you, all right? That's the poll question of the day. Turn to your, your neighbor probably already knows what it is, but uh, when you are hungry, who do you become? Pastor Michelle has uh, started bringing food to staff meetings uh, because there is about a time in the day that as soon as I hit that time, I become very hangry, okay? Uh, it, it just like comes out, I become short, I want to move things along, I'm short with people, and it's just not a good scene. There's things when we're hungry, uh, we're just not ourselves. Uh, we just do things that are, you know, we, sometimes we say things we regret and act and ways. But things come out of us when we're hungry. And that's, if we could just title this message this morning, maybe a little different, it would be, uh, you're not yourself when you're thirsty. You're not yourself uh, when you're thirsty. Uh, I listened to this guy. I, he's, a, he's a pastor and he's a professor and scholar in our denomination. His name, his name is Scott Daniels. And he, he talks about this mythology of completion and how we have this craving, this desire in us uh, that we believe if we have a certain thing, then we'll actually, uh, we'll actually complete us. That's not Scott Daniels, by the way. Um, but uh, 
And he talks about this in a variety of different places. Now, the one that kind of jumps to mind immediately for this woman is the desire for relationships and finding completion in relationships. And, and, and she has this conversation where Jesus basically says, well, well where is your husband? And she said, well, I don't, I don't have a husband. And Jesus immediately comes back with that, that's right. You have actually had five husbands, and the one, the guy that you're with now is not your husband. And so you immediately begin to think, wow, this is a lot of relationships, a lot of things that, that trying to seek completion in, in another person. Uh, there was an awful movie a couple of years. I was, uh, it had a couple of good lines in it. Jerry Maguire. You remember that movie? You know, show me the money, and uh, I'm trying to think of some other lines from that movie. What's that? You had me at hello. And right before she says that, Renee Zellwalger, uh, that's, I think, the right name, um, he, he gives the speech. You remember the speech? And what does he say in the speech? You complete me. You complete me. I, I think that's just a, that's just a lie. I think, well, it's just not true, okay? Let's just put it out. It's just not true. Tom Cruise, fairly decent actor, kind of a weird dude, but it's just not true, okay? Because another person is not meant to complete us. And there are a lot of people who think, if I just, if I could just get married, if I could just find the right person, then, man, Everything will be right in my world, in my life, in my heart. If I just had this person, then I would, I would be complete. And, it, and it's, it's, not, it's not true. And when you think another person is the one that completes you, you're putting amazing amount of pressure on another on a person. And no one, no one is capable, no human being is capable of meeting that need inside of us. Now, some scholars, they would say, you know what? And this may be reaching a little bit. She had five husbands. Maybe this, this represents like the five senses that we try to like fulfill this need for completion inside of us. We had date night the other night here at church. It was great. Thank you to those that, that uh, babysitted and kept kids and put that together. Pastor Michelle and her team did a great job uh, with that. And, uh, you know, if I had a date night in Houston, Mel, Mel and I, if we could go out to one restaurant, I know it's, you know, it's not like the most expensive. It it's costs a little bit, but it's not the like creme of, of Houston. But my restaurant would be Papacitos. Okay. I love Papacitos. Uh, it's, there's just those homemade tortillas. They're just, they're, oh, you can see them making on the side and the guacamole and the, the queso. I get the same thing every time. The Papacitos skewer uh, or grill, Papacitos grill when I go there. And it's, I mean, it just melts in your mouth. And the butter sauce that you dip it in, the butter, I mean, you know, it's just like, just if you could put a million calories in one little tub, that's what it is. But it's like nectar from heaven, okay? And if anyone, if I wasn't afraid of people's judgment, I would just take it and I would just drink it. Because that's how good it is. And I would go, we'd go afterwards to Papacitos and we would go to this place. It's called Connie's Custard. And it's, have you been to Connie's before? Oh, it's delicious. I mean, it, they make these things called, um, torn, well, the thing I love is the Texas Tornado, Okay. 
And they're, I think they're called concretes. They mix things together. It's on uh, Jones Road. It's just a little hole-in-the-wall place. If you're, if you're new in Italian, you've got to try Connie's Custard. And the Texas Tornado is, is basically chocolate and, and, like, fudge chocolate that's been, like, frozen that hard, you know, kind of the, what do you call that stuff where you, you it freezes and it, like, becomes hardened, the shell kind of stuff. Oh, and they put strawberries and, and, and vanilla, and it is amazing, all right? I uh, once bought one of these for, for Melanie as a, hey, I'm thinking of you, I love you, and half of it was gone by the time I got home. <laughs> I justified it because it was melting in the car, but, and I was just drinking, you know. But I would wash it down with that, and when, at that kind of date night, it's the perfect, it's perfect. I would do that almost every date night. And as good as that is, so good, in about eight to ten hours, I'm hungry again. I'm hungry again. Some people, you know what? They love roller coasters. I'm not a roller coaster guy anymore. That kind of was the mark of me being old, okay? <laughs> when, I, when I got to, I loved the mind bender at Six Flags when I was a kid because it actually went upside down, okay? And some people, they, they've gone upside down once. They're like, wow, that's cool. What's the next thing? I want to go even higher and even faster and even faster than that. In fact, I read a thing this week, I think Carowinds in North Carolina, if you've been to North Carolina, Carowinds, uh, there's this ride that they're opening up. It's called, let me find it, the Fury 325. The Fury 325. It's higher than the, the Statue of Liberty. Higher, taller than the Statue of Liberty. It's, it goes 95 miles per hour. And there's a video, you can go on YouTube and watch it. And just watching the video just gave like this little shriek down my spine there. You know what I'm talking about? Some people, they go to the next roller coaster, the next roller coaster, the bigger, and, and they just keep big, getting bigger and taller and faster. And, and they want this thrill. And, and the last thrill is not good enough anymore. It's the next thrill. And I, I see this kind of translating in, in this perverse sexual world that we live in now, where this seeking pleasure, one thing, one place is not good enough, so it's the next place and the next thing, until we see these stories on the news and go, wow, that's, that's disgusting. That's perverse. But it's seeking one high after another high after another high, and none of these fulfill that, that inner desire. None of, none of that will, will satisfy. There was this guy, uh, his name is David Foster Wallace, and he is a, a, was a brilliant uh, novelist, postmodern uh, writer, and uh, received all kinds of accolades and uh, wrote several books. It, probably the one he's most known for was uh, Infinite Jest, and it was back in the, the mid-'90s. And uh, he gave this speech, and by no means, I'm going to set this up, he's by no means a, a Christian or a Christ follower, but he's given this speech at, at Kenyon College. It's... Uh, to the graduating class, and, and he says these words. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing uh, some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough, it's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally put, plant you 
Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need even more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect being seen as smart and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful. It's that they are unconscious. Conscious. They are default settings that we have, that we seek these things to worship. And they're unfulfilling. He's talking about this, can I have some water? And immediately she, she thinks about water from this well. But that's the water that, that won't fill uh, long term. In John chapter 3, turning the page back over, we had this man named Nicodemus. And he was most likely rich. He was recognizable. He was highly moral. He was on a quest for it. In, in this case, this conversation is about, about eternal life and, and life in the fullest. He came to Jesus, ironically, at night. A little strange woman, outcast comes when? In the day. The religious insider comes when? At night, when no one can see him. He's a, uh, like you said, a religious uh, leader. He's accepted by, he's even a part of this inside club, the, the Sanhedrin, which is basically the, the 70, the 70 uh, most, I guess, religious people of the day, the people that most obeyed the, do- the, most obeyed the law and kind of sat in judgment uh, over others and different things. Now, now, being a Pharisee, they're, they're really uh, known for keeping the law to every single dotting of the I and crossing of the T. They knew every law, and they kept them personally. And they were really separated from others uh, with that in mind. In fact, they, would take, they took the Old Testament law and began to see within it other little things along the way. It's rules to live by. So much so that take something as you should not work on the Sabbath. We're beginning to interject what that would mean in every single area of life. So of saying, you know, if you tie a knot on a Sunday, well, that's work. Well, it depends on what kind of knot that you tie, whether that's work or not work. And so there was this just very little minute things. And I, I, I read a story this week, or saw a story, a California basketball team, girls' basketball team, high school, they were doing this, they were in the playoffs, and they decided to, um, to, to honor and to, for awareness and as a fundraiser on their jerseys, they had uh, pink lining out the numbers of their, their jersey for breast cancer awareness. And they were actually disqualified from the tournament. Why? One of the rules of the, of the league, of their, the, the play, was that you can only wear school colors. And so talking about totally missing the point of the whole thing. And, 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 and that's what we see with, with Pharisees a lot of times, totally missing the point of what's happening. And as, as Jesus embraces so many different people, and you see that throughout his conversations and his encounters with people, especially these sinners, tax collectors, outsiders, people that were pushed to the side and marginalized, the people that he struggles with the most throughout the Gospels are these religious insiders. In fact, he loves to have these tension-filled moments 
where he's poking and prodding. And, and, and if, if you want to read uh, one of these sections today, Matthew 23 is maybe one of my favorite chapters for this. It's just this back and forth. You think you're this, but you're not. You're, you're a hypocrite. You're a this, and you proclaim to be that. And it is, man, it is just Jesus is going at these guys. In fact, at one point, he says this, you go around the globe to make, to make followers of you, to make converts, and you make them twice the sons of hell that you are. Wow. Wow. And, and, and one of the passages, he says in John chapter 5, he says this to Pharisees, and the father who sent me has testified about my, me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face. And you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures, they point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name and you have rejected me. Yet, if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. And Jesus just has it out with these people. Now, one of these guys, this Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at night. There's something about Jesus that he recognizes, something different about this person. And he begins to... He kind of instigates this this meeting, it would seem, and this conversation, seeking that, who is this this Jesus? And, and And Jesus and Nicodemus have this conversation where Jesus says these words, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus asked, what do you mean? How can an old man go? It's a, it's a pretty good question, a logical question. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asks. And then they come later on to this, the famous verse that most people know. And this is the NLT version, so it's, it's a little different. It says this, that for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now, the other day, someone said something to me that struck me. And I said, you know what? I've come to your church a couple of times, and I've noticed that, uh, you know, the thing I like about your preaching is you're not really a hellfire and brimstone preacher. I, I kind of grew up with that in church, and, and I just, you know, just don't, you know, I just don't like that kind of preaching, and, and I don't know if, I didn't know if to take that as a compliment or, or what to think about that, but uh, just to, to clarify, I, I certainly believe that there is a, a heaven or, and a hell, and at, at, at some point when, when life is over, then, then we're going to be going to one of those, those places. And, but in this passage, and especially this verse that we know so well, maybe the, probably the most famous verse in all the Bible, you see it at Football games and signs everywhere, John 3.16, 1 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. I think a lot of times we think about this as a heaven and hell issue. Once you get to heaven and hell, and I think it does mean that. But I think that this passage doesn't just apply to the afterlife, but the full life that God wants to give us now in the here and this place, that God wants to give us life in its fullest right here if we, we follow and, and live and believe in him. Now, and before we even get to this place uh, where he's declaring this, if you believe in me, then you can have this full life. He begins to talk about some things, about being born again, being spirit and water. What does he mean by this? Now, symbolically, we think about water, and I think immediately of, of baptism. By the way, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have baptism for Easter. I'm excited. I think if you've never been baptized, just invite you to take that, that faith journey uh, with us on Easter Sunday of all Sundays. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a celebration. But when we we're baptized, it's this commitment, this saying out loud that I, I am a follower. I am giving my life, and I'm coming to God. I'm submitting to God and saying to the world and to my friends that I have given my life to him. It's, it's the part that we do. The water is. The spirit part of that is something that we don't control. The spirit represents this thing that is mysterious. It's supernatural. It's this God thing that only God can, can do. Can, only God can do in us. There's a part of this salvation, this faith journey that we are a part of and that we participate in, and there's a part that only God can do. You can work and, and be the best religious person in, in, in this room, in this town, in this world, but if God is not doing it in us, in, in you, if there's not this relationship, this thing that only he can do, then it means, it means nothing. It means nothing. So how do we, we have this combination of, of water and spirit? Uh, I love this metaphor, and it it's probably breaks down eventually, but as all metaphors do, but when you go to sleep, what do you do? You put yourself, can you make yourself go to sleep? Well, some of you are asleep now, so maybe I've made you go to sleep today. But when you lay down, you put yourself in a posture of sleep. Some of us have habits of sleep. You, you do certain things. Uh, you count sheep. You have a great pillow or a, a great mattress, and, and you do some of the same things. You don't eat after a certain time, and it just kind of prepares you for sleep. Right? You, you put yourself in this posture for sleep. I count or begin to play golf holes in my mind. And uh, I begin to play these different holes. And then eventually I'm asleep. And it's a great thing. But we put ourselves in this posture for sleep where we, we are, prepare ourselves for sleep. And, and, and I think what, what Jesus is getting at is this. We need to put ourselves in the posture to receive what only God can give. To, to receive what only God can, can give. And, and this water, even back to the Samaritan, as she is, is, is trying to figure this Jesus out, there's, if, you would have, if you would recognize who I am and the water that I can give you, it can actually give you eternal life and this life in the fullest. That's what Jesus does. He does what only he can do. And we, if we seek this in other places, that we'll find that it doesn't complete us. It doesn't complete us. It doesn't give us the full life that God wants for us. I, uh, I love to hear people's stories. 
uh, stories about how they came to faith. And uh, there's a couple stories that I, I, I love to hear. You know, I hear these a little bit more often than, than, than most. Uh, Pastor Michelle, I, I love to hear a story about how her and George came to know the Lord, how they essentially had nothing to do with the church, uh, had, didn't grow up in church, didn't, had, didn't go to church on Easter, but, but, but through someone's invitation, they were invited to be a part of, of this place. It was, a, I think, a picnic, and slowly began to come to, to services, and they both gave their life to the Lord uh, through that. I love to hear Fareed's story. If you've never heard Fareed's story, I mean, it is just, it's mind-blowing. And, and the short version is growing up in Iran and, uh, and surrounded by the Muslim faith and family. And at one point in his life, began to have this journey of seeking and seeking answers and seeking, seeking the truth and, and, and evaluating other religions and other things. And I, I really see this in kind of the, the Nicodemus narrative here. We're just thinking what, what the truth is. And, and eventually coming to God and said, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? And God did in amazing ways in his life. Think about my story. My story is I, I'm the kid that grew up in church. I'm the kid that was there every Sunday. That uh, countless number of times that I, I was in church growing up. And I was really good and on the outside, looking like everything was together. I was the best. I could fake you out. And I did a pretty good job of faking my parents out at times. Um, and it became almost like a game. And I, I don't think that I had negative intentions. But it, it was just something that I did. But it wasn't in my heart. And, and God was something that I was, I was a very religious person. But it, there certainly wasn't a, a connection, a relationship uh, that was there. And in hearing these different stories, I don't know what your story is. But I know one thing is the same. We are all different. But we're all the same in this. We can seek after something to fill us and to complete us. But it won't do it. It won't. You'll be hungry again. You'll be thirsty again. You will put something out there and say, if I just had this, if, if I was just this position at work, if I just made this much money, if I just were, it was in this friend group at school, if I just had this person in my life, then things would be different and I would feel complete. But reality is when you get those things, you don't feel complete. It's only when you experience firsthand Jesus Christ in your life. And he's the one that, that fills us to completion and gives us not just this heaven that's there, and, and thank God it is, but he gives us full life in the right now of your world and your life. But my confession to you today is there's sometimes... There's sometimes that I forget that. There's sometimes that I forget that. I was at this, um, I was at this place called Generation One this week, and it's a a, a nonprofit. They're out in in the third world, third ward, and they're trying to save kids that are off the street 
that are basically are victims of generational poverty. And just these cycles of defeat where kids are just, they've seen horrific things, horrific things. And they have experienced things that, that we maybe seen on TV but, but can't possibly understand. This is the guy named uh, Mike who, who runs the, the place there. And, and they're trying to, to speak hope and love into these kids' lives and to, to rescue these kids through education and through, quite frankly, a meal. And through, through love, just loving these kids unconditionally. You see Jesus just written all over everything that they do. And as I, I was listening to story after story, uh, as I, we visited with Mike uh, this week about what's happening in, in that neighborhood and how they're trying to, to help kids, there were a couple of stories that stuck out to me. There was, but one that, that was, uh, he and his wife were adopted an eight-year-old. And uh, this little boy, just a beautiful little boy, and, and, and they have brought him into their family. And and he actually has a 16-year-old sister. And they were trying to rescue her as well and, and to basically have her live with them as well. And potentially, who knows where that would have gone. And, and she, she was living at the home for about a month and away from the noise of the night, away from the gunshots, away from, and he said this stuck out to me, just the, the, the loud TV that every home that you go to is just loud TV being played. Why? So that you wouldn't have to hear the, the things outside. And that's why the TV is so loud. And, and she came into this home where, where love was poured out and, and there were meals on the table. And even as, as crazy as this sound, they were teaching this eight-year-old how to, to do simple things in life, like brush his teeth, because he didn't know how to do that yet. And about a month in, the 16-year-old, there, there was a note on her bed. And she ran away from, from this home and back onto the streets and back into the, the, this dark and chaotic and noisy world. And the thing that, that, that stuck out to me that he said was that, you know what, it's in, it, it was in her bones. It's in her bones and, and just as, as, as peaceful and, and and as, as nice as things were, there was just this draw to go back to the chaos, to go back to this world. And I, I think that at times we can experience true life, but we're so surrounded by a culture that would tell us different messages to who our God is, that we can keep get drawn, getting drawn back in to thinking that if we just had this or that, then it would complete us. So this morning, we get a chance to participate, to be reminded that our God is a God of unconditional love. He is the God that, that was thirsty by a well one day, but there's another place in Scripture where He was thirsty as well. Do you remember that? When He was on a cross. And he was dying, and there was physical thirst, but as he's talking about this spiritual thirst with this woman at the well, I think he was experiencing, ex experiencing spiritual thirst as well, where he had been separated from the Father on the cross, bearing the sins of the world, and he asked for a drink. 
It was on that cross that he enabled us to have full life, that we could have forgiveness, that we can experience grace, and that we can experience real completion in life, real fulfillment. And today, we need a reminder of of what this grace looks like and the one and the source this true life comes from. And so we have an opportunity this morning to, to come to the table. In our church, we, uh, we take a communion uh, via intinction. And basically, you, you take a piece of bread and you, you dip it into a cup. And you remember and are thankful and you recognize what God has done uh, for you. We serve one another. And so the first person will come up and they will serve the person behind them. And then that person will take the elements and serve the next person and serve the next person and serve the next person. Because we believe that God has given us grace and we want to pass that grace back to other people. And so now we are reminded that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, just hours before that he would go to a cross, he took, took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took a cup. And every time that I I take communion, I pause and I look just deep into that cup because I can't help but think that Jesus had a long pause that night and began to think about what was to come. But he took the cup anyway and he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. I want to pray for us. And then when I pray, I just invite you to come to the table this morning. God, thank you so much for this room of people. Lord, I thank you that we are so very different. I love that. I thank you that you come to every single one of us. You break through every barrier that's known to man. And God, you extend your love and grace to each one of us, Lord. And God, I thank you that our stories are different, but in many ways, our stories are so the same, God. We have sought other things. We have, we have wanted other things and, and thought if we just had those things, then we would be complete. But, but we realize those things do not fill us. They cannot fill us. The only thing that can fill us is you and your grace, and your love, and your mercy, God, that we are so grateful for today, Jesus. We get in a posture this morning to receive, Lord. We we recognize fully that you are God. You alone are creator. You are our Lord. You're our Savior. You're our Redeemer. You are the one that restores the broken, and we are thankful for that today. We come to you with 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 open hands and open hearts. And we pray, Lord, with a humble spirit, Jesus, that you would do what only you can do in us and through us, Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us to resist the voices, resist our culture, resist the chaos that would tell us things that are not true, Jesus but we've been listening to your voice today, Jesus. God, thank you for this moment. Remind us physically in our heads and our hearts as well. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Invite you to the table this morning. Come.
As we leave today, remember the words of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and honor and power and majesty before all ages, now and forevermore. Go in peace to love God and serve others.